Welcome to Conversations with I Follow the Leader, made possible by I Follow the Leader, LLC. I am your host, Antonetta Mosley. I'm the CEO and Principal Leader at I Follow the Leader and a Certified Diversity Professional. I founded the firm in 2016 because I believe the historical prototype of what a successful leader looks like needs to change. We help leaders and organizations thrive and reach their highest potential. This is a place where those of a different feather can soar together. Thanks for joining us today. Hello, everyone. I hope you are doing well. It is Antonetta Mosley of I Follow the Leader, and I am so excited about today's conversation with senior partnership leader Rory Geller Muhammad. You are in for a treat because today you get the behind the scenes of I Follow the Leader. Rory and I have a lot of amazing conversations about what is going on in the field. Um, and, and just what our clients are doing, what people in the industry are doing from corporations to nonprofits, et cetera, around diversity, equity, and inclusion, courageous conversations, and something we realize, and anyone I believe who's doing this work has likely told you, is it is difficult work. Not only is it difficult, it's emotional. And so today we want to talk to you about emotional intelligence. I'm going to read the description as we have people coming in. So come on in. In the comments, please feel free to share where you're tuning in from and why you came today. Also, if you have a question for us, whether you're watching live, watching later, or listening to the podcast, please feel free to share that in the comments because we will come back and answer your question later even if we don't get to it so today's conversation episode 49 the intersection of dei and ei leaders often overlook the emotional context of diversity equity and inclusion work this can lead to a disconnect between leadership endorsing dei but not actually following through with the commitment or action. And this episode, we're going to unpack why well-intentioned leaders often struggle to move DEI work forward, how the awareness of emotional context cultivates a healthy workplace culture, and what you as a leader or a change agent can do to better support the work at your organization. So without further ado, I want to bring on Rory. Rory, welcome, welcome back. How are you doing today? Hi, Antonetta. I am so excited to be here. I'm super excited to have this conversation. I know this is something that we talk about a lot um, and so love, right, the behind the scenes piece of it and just how important it is to have that conversation. And then I don't think we're seeing that talked about enough in the field. No, and I, I think that's really important. I very rarely see information about the emotional side of the work. However, as we know, when you're doing the long-term strategy work, it comes up almost in every conversation. And so uh, really important, something we like to do at I Follow the Leader is provide definitions because we cannot assume that everyone knows 
right? What is this emotional intelligence and how does it factor in? And so I'm going to read a definition from psychology today. And it says that emotional intelligence refers to the ability to identify and manage one's own emotions as well as the emotions of others. And that is a key point because it's not just about managing your emotions, it's about managing others. And in DEI, we see a lot of leaders struggling with how do I manage the emotions of people on my team or people who may identify differently? And then I want to share one more quote that I shared with my Courage Candy community, which was, it's from David Caruso. And he says, it is very important to understand that emotional intelligence is not the opposite of intelligence. It is not the triumph of heart overhead. It's the unique intersection of both. And I thought that was appropriate because we're going to be talking about that unique intersection of DEI and EI today. And so I want us to start, we started with definitions, but I also want us to share a little more about how are we coming at this work? Um, because Rory and I are coming at this work from different places. And so Rory, if you want to share a little more about how you look at DEI and, and some of that background of yours. Yes, definitely. Thank you. Yeah. So I coming into this work, right, I think there's both the personal piece and the professional piece. And so I think it's important to share both of those pieces. I think that's a lot right when we're in these spaces, how we show up. Um, so I'm going to just I'll start sharing first some of my personal identities that I feel sort of show up for me in this work. And then I'll talk a little bit about the professional piece. Um, so personally, I'm white. Um, my background is um, Ashkenazi Jewish, my ethnic background. I come from growing up in a multiracial family. That's a lot of the ways that I even came into this work were connections around inequity, disparities, things that I saw from growing up in a multiracial family. Um, married to a Muslim man of color, raising kids with multi-faith, multicultural things, multi-faith, multicultural, multiracial, um, lots of that culture happening. Um, and so personally, I show up through a lot of the lens of bringing all of those aspects into the work. Professionally, I am a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and so a lot of people don't even know that much about sort of the social work field. Sometimes when people hear social worker, they think, oh, caseworker or investigator, right? And that's really not, that's not an actual social worker, a licensed social worker, um, someone who's trained in social work. The cool thing and why I was very much pulled to social work is that it's based on, we're learning, we, we work with human behavior. And so there's a lot in human behavior as well as systems thinking. And so that's all kinds of systems, right? Family systems organizational systems, our societal systems, and the way that individuals interact with those systems. Um, and so I've been doing social work for over 20 years now. Um, and I've been, in the way that I've been doing it, I've been a school social worker, so working with youth and families. I've worked in transitional housing, working with individuals and families that did not have housing. Um, I've worked in community, um, doing family therapy in community centers. I've worked in private practice. I've worked with seniors, I've worked in outpatient mental health as well. So kind of the broad spectrum and a lot of the work that's done is this idea of how are individuals impacted by systems. And when we talk about, sorry, like the EI piece connecting to DEI, that's where we see it, right? How does that connect? Awesome, thank you so much. I think it's so important to know how we're, we're coming 
at this work, how we're coming from this work, um, my background, I was in the nonprofit field, have a master's in public administration, but have always loved how do people think. So um, in undergrad, I was a business management major, however, got a certificate, one in marketing, the other in social psychology, because I just wanted to know more even right in those teenage years of how do people, why do people do the things they do? Acknowledging that people think differently. Um, and so seeing that in the nonprofit field, I really was able to go, I need to dig even deeper. So I had the opportunity to lead a psychosocial rehabilitation group for women who were experiencing homelessness and who had a diagnosis of either bipolar disorder or schizophrenia. And so, right, I'm still right young in my career and have this dynamic of usually 10 to 15 women in a group who are going through some of them the worst times in their life. And, and how as a team, as a group, um, could we provide support? And how is I as a leader who had an experience being homeless before, how can I make sure to take a lot of steps back? And so that really started my thinking as a leader on centering, right, the voices of those experiencing the harm. And they would look at me, I was young, most of them were older than me, and they're like, what? I don't, I'm not listening to you about my health, right? And when I would actually say, no, how are you feeling, right? I'm not trying to um, care for you, right, better than you're caring for yourself, because that a lot of people will have that savior complex and even with DEI. And so I'm like, no, I'm here for you. And that I was able to connect with those women just in a way I never would have imagined by taking those steps back and centering them, that, that emotional side. And, and so in graduate school, my thesis was on diversity and nonprofit leadership, overcoming barriers, continue to do the work. Um, and that is when I followed the leader started. That is when I started helping people with the DEI side. And we purposely put well-intentioned leaders because the leaders um, who want to do this work well are well-intentioned, but often aren't using the correct tools. And we have to think of DEI as a strategy while also acknowledging that it is extremely personal especially for those who are underrepresented historically, or I love how Arlen Hamilton says underestimated. So those underestimated people, how can we make sure they're being centered while still making it a strategy? So uh, Rory, I'm going to throw the first question towards you. Um, and, and something that we often see is that it is hard for, for leaders, for change agents, for committees sometime to know how do I connect with people who have a different identity, who grew up differently than me? How, how do I go about doing this work when there's so many different people on my team or, or that I'm being called to connect with? Yeah, I think that's such, what I love about that question, right, is the importance of people having to gain those skills, right? And so the importance of recognizing that it's not a, like sort of a trait, it's not a characteristic trait of a person, but it's skills around connection, relation, communication um, that need to be built in order to facilitate that. And so when we think of what's needed to make that happen, right? What 
one thing is sort of self-awareness. So when we're thinking about how do I help my team, right? A lot of times we're thinking of other, other, who, how do I interact with this person or how do I, what's cross-cultural, right? People, a lot of times this idea of like cross-cultural communication, right, comes up. And so a lot of it is people are often thinking, well, what does it look like for me to connect with this other person that might have a different identity than I have? Um, and I don't want to overstep. I don't want to say the wrong thing. I'm, I'm kind of maybe having even anxiety about it in my head of like, I don't want to mess up. Um, and so I think a piece of that is recognizing our self-awareness um, and deepening, taking some time to deepen that. A lot of times we're so busy and the work happens so quick that we don't really take the time to step back, reflect about what's happening, process, um, any of those types of things. And so I think one thing that people can do is think about the way that we communicate, right? Think about the way you personally, an individual may communicate um, and how that might be different than somebody else, right? And that, and so recognizing that, recognizing maybe even looking back, what was the communication style you grew up with? Is it the same you have today? Is it different? Um, and so recognizing the way that that plays into our interactions can have a big influence in how we're interacting with others. Thank you. Yeah, that's so important. Some of the notes I just jotted down or the self-awareness part, um, communication, right? Acknowledging that people communicate differently. And there was a thread on LinkedIn recently, and I chimed in just about awareness as a leader for something I learned luckily early in my career was, wait a second, people receive feedback extremely differently. And so when I would be on teams, I would make sure uh, if I'm working with someone right five days a week, it's important for me to know how do you like to receive feedback? So if I have to give you real time feedback, how would you like that to happen? And, And I would have some people that would want to know immediately if there was something they could change or implement and that other people really wanted the structure of a meeting so they can be prepared, et cetera. And so I think that self-awareness piece as leaders it is something that's often missing from DEI, the acknowledgement that everyone didn't grow up the same, like you said, or that we're different. Um, something you know, that I wanted to share is often people to relate to me, right? What people see usually immediately is that I'm a woman or right, or they assume, right? Um, They assume different identities. And so I identify as a black woman. And so uh, people often to try to connect with me will tell me about their black friend. And this happened just last week again. And so I think it's important to share, right? That for me, knowing someone has a black friend or a few black friends doesn't make me feel this sense of kinship with them, right? I have friends of all different ethnicities. And for me, I don't kind of use them to show I'm diverse or I'm equitable or I'm inclusive because I have a friend um, of a different race, religion, et cetera. And so we'd love to know from you, you know, what are some of those ways that we can relate to people without saying, right, hey, Rory, I have a Jewish friend, you know, like when you're just getting to know someone that can honestly be a a bit off-putting. Yes, yes, no, 100%. Um, and I think when we're thinking about what are some different ways of doing that, even just think about the ways we we typically connect, right? Often we go to a different place 
when it's someone that holds a different identity versus thinking like, what are the ways that we feel most comfortable connecting? So how do we find it? Getting to know someone, right? How do we take the time to actually learn who learn about a person, right? We're ask questions, learn, you know, find out like, you know, what do they like? What do they enjoy? What do they do outside of work? What's their life like, <laughs> right? Like, do they have any pets? How can we, and thinking about being very intentional about trying to connect. And I think building trust is a big piece too. And how do we build trust and relate in that way? Um, and the other piece, uh, I think that, that I was also thinking about as you were speaking was this idea of, of listening. Um, a lot of times we think we're listening, but we're not actually listening as well as we could be. Um, and so even at times when there might be um, sort of disagreement, discomfort in a conversation as well, um, or sort of maybe a place where we're not sure where we're struggling with sort of the communication piece. How can we listen without feeling that we have to have an answer or a solution or a response or problem solve that we can just listen and give ourselves time to process that we don't have to always, things are so fast paced. We feel like we have to kind of respond right away. So I think also a piece of connection is also being very intentional about listening because I think disconnect often happens when we're not doing a great job listening that that's awesome um you know i wrote down building trust listening and processing and intentional connection and i think that's a great segue and there's something we really wanted to talk about because a, as a team we do a lot of cultural audits and what that means for us is we go into organizations so that they can have data and measurement and a foundation around diversity, equity, and inclusion. A lot of people started doing this work in 2020 or increasing their efforts in 2020. However, a lot of people started with let's do something, just kind of what you talked about. We got, we have to do something, we have to say something. And unfortunately, DEI can be more harmful than helpful if you start with action without talking to employees. And so what we do is actually set a foundation of how do your employees feel, which right is connected to that emotional piece. How are employees currently feeling? And so we do an anonymous survey where we make sure our different people with different identities feeling differently, et cetera, we do one-on-one -on -one interviews and focus groups. We do document review. And so that makes up our cultural audit phase. And something we've seen over the years is the cultural audit phase and receiving the data can be extremely difficult for leaders, right? And, and something you touched on is that listening piece and self-awareness piece I think are so important but we're often not taught those things. And so if it's your first time anonymously hearing, right, how employees feel, because we as an external provider are doing it, right? I've talked to so many people who say, if it's an internal survey, I'm not going to answer honestly. And, and we have to acknowledge the emotional piece of that, that yes, a lot of great leaders do not track employee surveys and where they're coming from, but we have to acknowledge with technology that you can actually track, right, location. And, and so if you're not, right, if an employee doesn't feel that trust, that location's turned off, et cetera, they're not going to be answering in, in surveys that come internally 
honestly. And so it can be very hard when our partners receive the external survey because it's often the first time employees may have felt that psychological safety to share their feelings. And so I felt like that whole context was important. Also, because those of you who are wondering how do we move forward in DEI work, right? A cultural audit's extremely important, but offering your employees that psychological safety that it's not being in, administered inside. So Rory, what's something that leaders can do when they're struggling with the data and where where can some of the, where are these emotions potentially coming from? Yeah, no, I think that's so great. And this is such a important conversation, I think, that we're having since, as you mentioned, right, we see this happening, right? We see leaders getting this data and then really struggling to, to kind of move forward often of like, how do, what do I do? And so I think what leaders can do is give yourself some time to reflect and that give, it's okay to have emotions about it, right? It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to feel, you know, hurt. It's okay to feel um, surprised, um, maybe even like, you know, it's made feeling like it's out of the blue in a way of like, how did nobody say this to me? Or it's okay, like give yourself the space to have your emotional reaction. So I think that's the first thing is like, it's okay to have your emotional reaction. And then the next piece is how do you now integrate this into what's happening? So now that you have this information, what can you do so that it, it doesn't continue to be that way, right? That's you're in, Having the information is super powerful and recognizing that is huge because now you're in a position to actually create change around it and create change so that it doesn't keep showing up that way in the future. Um, I, I think the other piece is not making excuses for it because I think sometimes we see that of like, oh, well, they just said it this way because of this initiative and they didn't understand this other piece of it or trying to explain it away. So I think it's important that we um, are fully present for the information and don't try to sort of ex excuse it for whatever it is. Um, and the other piece, I think there's always space of what does repair look like, right? If we see harm has been done to our employees, to those around us, right? No, but most people are good, well-intentioned, right? They don't want others to be hurt and they don't wanna be part of doing that hurting. And so if there's a piece there, it's always like, what can repair look like? And part of that is, right, we do the roadmap phase as well of like, here's steps that you can take after the culture, right? After here's your information, here's a plan that you can put in place so that harm isn't repeated. And you can even write, what does, how do we restore, um, how do we repair harm? And what might that look like? What might you be able to say as a leader to your whole company? How can you provide transparency and kind of say, here's here's our numbers, right? Here's some data, and I can't believe it. And kind of being vulnerable, right? Sometimes we have to be vulnerable to be like, you know, I I kind of feel I kind of feel uncomfortable that I didn't know this. That here I am showing up every day and didn't know that this is what the data, this is how you all felt. But I think that's huge to build trust to start the repair process. All of that. That's I mean everything you said, right? This segment we're we're talking about pausing and processing, right? This segment, go back and listen. Like everything Rory just said, like Rory is, is just so critical. Um, I always take notes as we're, as we're recording, but I'm going to go back because what you talked about is, is so critical. And when we talk about people sharing their emotions, 
And so often in our in our survey, right, we'll even have, I feel, right? And so acknowledging that these are individuals' feelings. And so what do we do then with people's feelings? And unfortunately, the opposite of the things you talked about, right? So the positive things you talked about are repair, transparency, being present, moving forward, right? Um, Unfortunately, we see the opposite a lot of times of lack of transparency, not acknowledging people's comments or feelings. And I mean, this sounds like preschool, but it, it, it's a really important with DEI work. Just because you don't understand someone's feelings does not take their feelings away. And so I see often leaders trying to, like you said, explain away or make excuses for people's feelings. And we as leaders have to acknowledge, right? If someone doesn't understand, right? If it's one person out of 1,000, all right, right? We're, we're big data people, big percentage people. So one person out of 1,000, no, you don't need to change everything, right? You should still be acknowledging harm was done. But when you start to see 10% of employees, 8% of employees, or 50% in a certain identity feeling a certain way, that is an alarm bell. Those are alarm bells of something is wrong. And it doesn't always mean, right, that the organization, what they're doing is wrong. We often see people aren't articulating what they're doing well. They're not transparently sharing out their DEI initiatives. And so employees are feeling like, wow, you had someone come in for one training two years ago. And now there's nothing else. And so when we're going through the process, the cultural audit, the comprehensive roadmap, we really recommend quarterly updates around DEI. And we're saying DEI, but this should be your whole culture, right? You should be giving quarterly updates about all elements of your culture. If you've updated the handbook, if you have new wellness initiatives, et cetera. Um, and so I think that's important. And Rory, you've personally helped me a lot with, what does repair look like? Because this work can be very emotional, especially for practitioners, especially for me who owns a, a Black female who owns a business and often faces discrimination. And you've really helped me with the, what does repair look like? And we have to acknowledge, sometimes I said, repair looks like just getting through this situation, right? Or repair looks like, it being a really great partnership or repair looks like, et cetera. But I think that's so important when we, if we're going to administer this data as leaders, we have to acknowledge that is our duty to repair. Um, and I think that is one of the biggest gaps right now is, you know, people in these underrepresented groups are being harmed and then there's no repair, but you've shared maybe for the first time in your career or at this organization that I feel um, harmed. And so if you say you feel harmed and then nothing happens, right, that's even more harmful. Um, and so just really appreciate what you shared so so critical 
Um, and so just wanted to stay there for a minute. Um, yeah. Want to talk about... I just want to jump in for one, one second yeah, yeah, on that please. because I think in addition, one of the things that often also isn't thought about or talked about when harm is done is sort yeah. of the, this idea of right collective or intergenerational trauma um, mm. and resilience that people often come with, exist with, yes. and that plays a role in sort of the way we show up. And then when these things at work happen, it adds on to that. And so it's yes. that idea, right? When we think of sort of our group, collective groups, collective group trauma that may have happened over all the years. And um, Resma Menachem is a social worker, I think as well has done a lot of work around that. Um, right, when we think of the impact that slavery has had in people's yeah. being and existing and the resilience with the Holocaust, the things that have come from that, the many throughout all years, right, for all identities, yeah. the various oppressions and things that have happened, but historical harms that have happened, recognizing that the way that that may play into ways people continue to interact without um, always a consciousness of it kind of being in our forefront. So even when we're thinking like, what were things that individuals can do, even learning more about how that may impact each person, like you, each person individually yes. can make yes. a difference in the way we relate and connect to others. That's beautiful. I am in this leadership, regional leadership program. And because I talk so much about having courageous conversations, I'm often willing to have them, but acknowledging that a lot of people aren't. So we were learning about, um, racial equity and like poverty equity etc and so i had to tell everyone i'm like all of this for me is really heavy right now everything that's going on with dei me being a black woman entrepreneur like this is heavy like i may have to leave as sometimes during the discussions this is emotional for me today talking about this and so you have to write have the tools and everyone doesn't have them to be able to do what I did and feel comfortable in a room of 25 of like, this is extremely emotional for me today. Yes. Right. And so do you create the environment where people can say, I can't do this today, right? I can't have this discussion or I'd like to be excused because of the trauma, because of me thinking about, right, my great, great grandparents who were slaves, who had their land taken, et cetera. Um, and so I think that's really important and segues into something I actually told that group around empathy and sympathy. And so I told everyone what I want from people when I'm telling stories or explaining my feelings is not sympathy. I would like empathy. And so how can we show empathy for people without going like, oh, poor you, or, you know, um, poor those people over there. And I think just that, that is really important. How can we sit in the uncomfortability of like, wow, someone feels this way and I cannot imagine at all. Yes. How can we sit in that? Yeah. And I think a piece of that is recognizing that it's not our job to take that person's emotions or pain away, but it's hard to see others hurting. And so what is that, what can we do? What does that mean for us when we see others hurting? And so I think when we are aware of what that hurt is or what that is, so right, for an example, right, when you're talking about the, the racial equity, right, that, that specific example. So for me, if I'm a white person in that space, 
That means I need to, what can I think about? Understanding your, your experience and your pain. What does that mean for me now having to challenge the harms, the systemic harms that are happening? What role can I take in that? What can I do, right, in this space? If I feel, right? And also sitting with, we, we can't do something, but an awareness as the reflection piece. Um, also, always asking people, what do they need or want? Never assuming. I think assumptions are made too often that we assume because maybe when I feel sad, I want this versus like everybody may have different needs and experiences when they're having different emotions. We can't just assume <laughs> that they want the same, that the same thing comforts them or would help them that would help us. So making sure that we're being intentional about listening again and asking what people need. That's awesome. And, and, and goes along with, you know, the opposite of like the empathy gap gap and when emotional resilience is missing and i you know you talked about that and i think it's so powerful um can you just share a little a little about that yes so um dr david williams talks a lot about the empathy gap um and he um it, that's kind of where i had learned sort of that concept and that idea initially and i think it's really it, it's this idea of um, how when we don't understand, it's hard for us to have empathy, right? We're struggling. If we are, empathy might be a place that we struggle if we don't understand somebody else's experience. And so by not understanding the experience and recognizing the emotions that might come along with it, it can be hard for us to have empathy. And so it's important, how do we close that empathy gap and that we can have space for everybody's individual human experiences related to how people connect to different things that are happening in their life. And then recognizing, right, when we see trends happening, when people are part of, right, when we see sort of these surveys coming back and people having a negative experience at work and we see a specific um, historically marginalized group being impacted, instead of kind of trying to come up with excuses, which is a common default because it takes away our pain, but also sort of, we feel sort of our responsibility, right? Kind of like, well, I messed up versus like, I can reflect and it's not me myself, I guess. I, I may have been able to take different steps and I could do things differently, but I may have been lacking an awareness or tools at the time. And if I gain this awareness and tools, I can close that empathy gap. I can empathize and then I can create the changes that are necessary. Oh, and the resilience piece too. I want to make sure I address that as yeah, well. Yeah, no. <laughs> um, so the resilience, right? That's sort of what we build up, and we all have sort of we can. That's an area we can build, and I right as well of how do we um, hold space for the different emotions? And a lot of times, the way we navigate or manage our emotions are very are connected to both our body, and a lot of times we're because we're in a culture that works very quickly, is very much about productivity. We're often disconnected from our body, <laughs> so. Reconnecting to those senses is a piece of that, recognizing how we're feeling, but the resilience also as well, so that there, I can manage discomfort for a longer amount of time in a way that is effective in moving this work forward. So if you're feeling something that I can manage my reaction with my resilience and I can build that up to be able to manage that better. Beautiful. And I just wanted to go back again, the definition of emotional intelligence, because everything we've talked on has hit on it, but identifying and managing one's own emotions, as well as the emotions of others, right? So starting internally, but also acknowledging the motion, emotions of those external to you as well. 
so we, we talked about the, the definitions of these things, some of our background and how we come at this work, some of the common pitfalls um, that we see in scenarios that often come up. And so what we want to do, our ending segment is going to be on solutions because we cannot come at you with the problem and not give you solutions. And so what I am putting on the screen um, and you can go to ifollowtheleader.com slash framework, ifollowtheleader.com slash framework um, to, <laughs> to see this. And it's also under our resource pull down. Uh, for those who are listening and not watching. Also, there is a QR code on the screen for those watching, and that will actually take you to the I Follow the Leader website. So what I have on the screen here is the PACE Progress Framework. And this is, we've talked about the cultural audit and comprehensive roadmap. And basically our partnership, our long-term strategy work takes organizations through this whole cycle over about a year and seven months. Um, our cultural audit phase is actually this number two in the assessment phase. I'll let you come and look at that and learn. But what I wanna talk about today that goes along with emotional intelligence is the preparation phase of the framework. And so if you're really looking to get into DEI work, uh, number one is leadership affirms DEI as a strategic priority. You're willing to challenge past beliefs and assumptions and acknowledge the process will be an ongoing journey. And so I love so many of the tools that Rory has shared with us today because it goes back to right managing emotions, um, challenging those past beliefs and assumptions, also right acknowledging people's feelings about historical past harms is really important as well. So I wanted to share that um, just as a resource for you all. Um, and I'll share in a second just some of our other frameworks that you can tap into. Uh, but Rory would love to know from you, how can people internally do some of this work? So we focus a lot on what people can do in teams and the frame pace progress framework is for organizations. But what about people who internally maybe haven't had the tools to go through this before? Yeah, and I think this this kind of just highlights some of the things that we've already mentioned. I think the first thing is just being really conscious of your feelings. And so being able to identify your feelings is really the first thing, because if we don't pay attention to it, we're not able to manage, navigate, be conscious, reflect on it. Um, and a good tool, right? we may see, for those of you, um, some people may be familiar with kids. There's sort of a how are you feeling today chart with lots of different smiley faces with different emotions. So the grown-up version of that is a um, there's a feelings wheel. And so, I mean, you could Google it. There's all different types. But having a feelings wheel so that you could put words to the feeling that you're having is a start, right? So I think that's one thing is being able to identify your emotions and just being conscious of it. Um, the second, again, is the listening piece. And so just being really conscious that when we're listening, we're not listening to respond. We're actually listening to process and allowing yourself to respond to say, like if someone is sharing something with you, um, that it's okay to say, you know, to kind of get some, like, I, you know, I, I'd love to get back to you after, tomorrow after I've had some time to reflect or that's such a, you know, that's a great point. 
or I hadn't thought of it that way, I'm going to take some time to reflect or I'm going to take some time. So I think that's another thing is kind of getting yourself some additional time around that piece of it. Um, and again, this piece of connecting with empathy. So just remembering, right, like how do we connect with empathy, trying to understand other people's experiences, what that might be like. Um, and even if we don't know, taking at face value that someone is sharing that this is what it is for them, that we can believe that and that honor that. Thank you. So important. And I'll show another resource and you all can can link to it from from the frameworks page. Um, but I believe one of the biggest gaps in this work is courage um, and and emotional intelligence and, and DEI and courage, I believe all right are this puzzle that can help leaders be more effective. And so want to also offer tools around courage because a lot of times people don't have the tools to even share their emotions or be able to process others. And so um, there's information for individuals, the seven attributes of courage, how can you be more courageous? And then there's information for teams, which is the courageous consciousness chart of going through how do you actually have effective, courageous conversations? Because I believe people need the foundation of courage to even be able to do effective DEI work. Um, and so how can you start having courageous conversations? Like I said, the great thing is Rory and I are able to have so many um, and we've been able to help each other even as practitioners move forward in this work by having that trust and psychological safety. And so it's just so important that you first create a space where people are willing to share um, and, and then start to do the work of listening and understanding. So those are some resources. Um, our team at I Follow the Leader, as we've shared throughout today, um, Rory and I uh, often do cultural audits together. We have comprehensive roadmap programs. And so just want to let people know if your team needs support, whether it be a courageous conversation and learning those tools, whether it be a strategy session with your leadership or with your DEI committee or with your board members, to help them understand what is needed to prepare and do this work. Because if you go look at the framework, execution phase, right, doesn't come until later. Commitment phase doesn't come until later. And so how can we make sure we first prepare our employees, our leaders, our board members to do this work and then assess how employees feel? And then, and then only then do we commit right? Acknowledge the harm that was done and start to move forward. So Rory, I so appreciate you being back. Um, the people needed this. I get you like so much and I'm like, we needed to do this again. Uh, so thank you for coming back and just want to see if you have any closing thoughts on the intersection of DEI and EI. No, I think we covered a ton. Thank you so, so much. Thank you, Antonetta. You know, I am super appreciative of everything that you do and all of the work and it's, it's amazing. So thank you. Well, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. And thank you all for listening 
to episode 49, the intersection of DEI and EI. We shared a lot of resources. We went deep today. And so like I said at the beginning, this is a great one to listen over. This is also a great tool, y'all. We try to give you tools. This is a great tool to listen to with your DEI committee, listen to with your leadership team. You all can listen to it separately and then come together what did you learn? What can we implement? And so our goal really is that we help you push the pace of progress, move forward, but also understand your employees and yourselves better. So there's lots of tools we didn't mention, like strength finders and different ways to get to know your team members. And so we may do a follow-up. Uh, again, a lot of you all are going to be watching or listening later. So please, please, if you have any questions, uh, you can comment or if you want to send them to us anonymously, you can send the LinkedIn message to myself or Rory, or you can use the contact form at ifollowtheleader.com slash contact. And all of the resources that we shared today are on ifollowtheleader.com and they'll be linked to the podcast episode as well. If you learn something new, this helps us as well. So please, please comment, share. Um, we love to hear your feedback. Thank you, Tim, um, for, for the kind words in the chat. So please engage with us. We'd love to learn what did you learn new? What are you going to implement? And we just hope you all have a wonderful day whenever you are watching or listening. And remember that you can help to push the pace of progress. And we're just excited to be on this journey with you. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations with I Follow the Leader. We appreciate you. Be sure to subscribe to receive new episode alerts. To learn more about the firm, go to ifollowtheleader.com. I also want to encourage you, whether you're a change agent or leader, you can be a part of the solution. Now let's go make a positive impact and push the pace of progress. The world needs us.